Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to another healing conversation brought to you by AcousticHealth.com. My name is Loren Gailey and today we're speaking again with Gayla Ryder, who's a world-famous past-life regression hypnotherapist and a 30-year astrologist. Now, Gayla was here for a healing conversation earlier this year where we talked about past-life regression and that is archived here on this Blog Talk Radio page. You can listen to that anytime. Today we are talking about the space in between lives, where our soul goes when it's not incarnated here in physical bodies. But first, let me welcome our guest, Gayla Ryder. Thanks for having me. I'm so pleased to have you here again for another conversation. When we start to learn more about past life regression that leads us into the space in between lives when we do this there's such a comfort to be found can you explain why it is we feel such comfort when we go here and study this I think one of the primary uh, reasons is that it confirms that our soul is eternal and that unlike some of the philosophies which are really harsh that would indicate that if you mess up, you know, you just have one shot at it and you might be damned to hell. Um, the realization that our that this is basically earth school and we're here to learn and to grow and that uh, we actually uh, plan our lives to a great extent. We plan which parents we're going to have and um, consciously make a decision about where we want to incarnate. So I think it gives uh, a sense of hope um, and puts things into perspective. So if we get to choose this journey, it really puts the full responsibility on us that we don't blame anyone for our circumstances. And learning to forgive ourselves and others. (laughs) Learning to forgive ourselves and others. So is that why it's important that we look at this? Because some people would look at this and just think that this is totally nuts. Why is it so important to at least consider this? I think that people grow in different ways and are, um, you know, it's uh, that old adage when the student is ready, the teacher appears. And if you come across, um, you know, techniques that allow you to see in between lives, uh, perhaps your soul is ready to expand its awareness and consciousness in that direction. I've had clients that have been able to access their Akashic records. Not everyone can do that. It takes a fairly deep state of hypnosis, but I had one woman go into what she described as a library and ask for her records, and they came back with a huge leather-bound volume, and as she turned the pages, it would be like she'd see movies um, from different lifetimes. And uh, it gave her a lot of insight regarding sort of a karmic thread that she had with certain occurrences and relationships that were happening in her life. It helps you have a broader perspective and 
realize that in some lifetimes we're the victim and others we might be the person that victimized another. It's for the evolvement of a soul. We're free to express ourselves, but when we do it in a way that's less of light, perhaps we're not being the best that we can be. So what is it? Do you think that we're evolving to be expressing in pure love and light? And we're learning from these experiences? We're learning that it doesn't feel right? Hopefully we're learning. Uh, I don't think that everything is always, you know, progressive forward. Um, Edgar Casey, who is, I think, one of the finest trans channels that we've had, um, described many, many of his own lifetimes, and he had lifetimes of very elevated soul involvement, like in ancient Egypt, where he was a great healer and led his whole um, several thousand populated uh, community um, out of danger into another land, and yet he described a lifetime in the Old West where he was a degenerate alcoholic and was married to one woman and had a long-standing affair with someone else. So it's not always um, a progression. <laughs> you know, sometimes we have to, um, we, we take on certain lessons, and it's hard for us to judge from the earth plane exactly what another soul is doing. You know, maybe um, you would on the alcoholic Edgar Casey in the Old West and think, what a young soul and uninvolved being he is, and yet in ancient Egypt he expressed very high soul involvement. So I think we take on different experiences to help us understand and grow. Mm-hmm. When we start to do this work, I know you've got a beautiful CD that is absolutely amazing. I have used it myself. I always fall asleep in the middle of it, and I always wake up where you're saying, deeper, deeper, it's amazing. And so as we start to do this work, even if we can't remember what's going on, all I know is that this summer the allergy season has passed me by. It's not even affecting me. How do we know when we start to do this work if the images that we get are accurate? Is it our imagination? How do you work with your clients? A lot of people, when, you know, you regress them, will come up with uh, very amazing information, but I think we're taught in our culture particularly uh, to try to put primary emphasis on our analytical ability. Uh, If you look at the history of um, the recent world, Uh, We fled out of uh, trusting nature and being connected to nature to a more mechanistic approach and uh, the rational mind and uh, trying to use the scientific method, and we thought that would solve all of our problems. But we've seen with global disasters, um, you know, the hurricanes and uh, famines and so forth, that science cannot protect us against everything. And it seems like to me that we're coming more back into a a balance. You know, we have to swing to the left and to the right, and we're coming back to realize that we have to use our intuitive as well as our rational 
um, facilities in order to grow. And um, many people will think that the images that they access are just part of their imagination. Um, it takes time, I think, to validate uh, some of this information. I know from my own experience, I had uh, done a, a private regression, a series of private regressions with a psychiatrist in Berkeley that was doing some research in past life regression. And this is like 25 years ago, and I got very specific information um, about a past life, and I thought I was making it all up. Fifteen years later, when I'd completely forgotten about that regression, um, I was in a very serious car accident that should have killed me, uh, but I sustained significant injuries that required treatment for a number of years afterwards. And in one of the uh, sessions that I had about a year after the accident, I was in this holistic practitioner's office, and he was doing... Um, acupressure and acupuncture on certain of the trigger point muscle spasms in my back and all of a sudden the scenes from that lifetime that I completely forgotten sprang into the room and I it was like a dual consciousness I was aware of where I was but I also saw the scenes that I'd seen in that past life regression and I was at a point in my life then where the circumstances were exactly parallel to what had resulted in my death in that other lifetime. So to me, that validated that what I had access was authentic and real. Um, mm. Probably some of the research that's the most convincing that what you're accessing when you do a regression is Dr. Ian Stevenson's work. And he published a volume about three years ago uh, which was the compendium of 40 years of his research um, called When Science and Biology Intersect. And mm -hmm. he would, uh, when he would regress a subject and they would get specific information, and their name and date of birth and date of death and place of death, he would get their birth and death records. And if they died traumatically, he would get their autopsy reports. And he found that in many instances where a person died traumatically, they would have a birthmark on their current body that exactly replicated the way they had died in the prior life. It doesn't always happen, but one whole volume, which is over a 1,000 pages long in that two-volume set that he published, is just on birthmarks. Oh. That, tends to that tends to indicate that we do, our soul does bring in specific memories from another lifetime, and it does tend to indicate that these are, that what is being recalled is based on real fact. Fascinating. I think we're all checking out everybody for birthmarks. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> so now that we know about the past life regression, let's talk about the life in between. You are a student of Dr. Michael Newton, and you yourself have dealt with clients that have painted a picture of what it's like. So please tell us, what happens? What is it like? You can't say that everyone's experience will be the same. Um, what Newton and some of the people that did research prior to him, uh, there, were, there were a couple of... Um, a journalist and a psychiatrist in Canada have published a book called Life Between Lives, 
about six years before Dr. Newton published his books, and their findings were uh, very similar to Dr. Newton's, and um, mm -hmm. they've concluded that even though people have different religious beliefs and philosophical beliefs, that they would report similar experiences when they left the physical body in this lifetime, just sort of like what Raymond Moody did with the near-death experiences. You know, many people, not all, but many people will report seeing a light. Many people will uh, experience having a loved one or a guide greet them after they exit the physical body. Um, most people will reconnect with uh, a soul group, and um, they, you know, often will go through an experience where they meet uh, either a group of wise beings, like uh, Dr. Newton calls them the Council of Elders, um, or uh, some type of life review where they'll look at everything that they experienced in that life and evaluate, um, you know, what they did, um, what they could have done differently, what they want to focus on, um, you know, changing. And another thing that most people experience is um, when they are ready to return, going through a, a life planning session. Usually they're accompanied by their guide. And um, most people that I've worked with describe at least three or four different options. They might have uh, the availability to come in, say, as a male in uh, India or a female in North America or a female in Asia. You know, they have different options, and there'll be pros and cons to each choice. And uh, many describe the, the uh, ability to see scenes from a potential choice. You know, they, it will be like they'll... Uh, watch a movie and they'll see scenes of uh, potential uh, if they choose this particular set of parents and this uh, body. Mm -hmm. Different bodies have different abilities. You know, some might have more musical skill, others might be more artistically talented, some might be more intelligent. Um, and another thing that stands out is that when the soul sort of overlays the physical body, you know, it's very easy for the soul to see clearly and to make choices when they're in the in-between life. But when you are dealing with physical functions, it's not always so easy to get the body to cooperate. So some bodies work better than others. And... Uh, some have described it as like carrying around 10-ton weights trying to get the body to move. So, <sighs> You know, we just saw the passing of Michael Jackson. Wow, he came here with incredible talent, and he used it. Unfortunately, the 3D world pretty much chewed him up, but again, that was his, his journey and his choice, too. I think it's a great time to open up the phone lines right now. Let's talk with... Michelle from California. Michelle, how are you? Great. Thank you. Well, this is all fascinating to me, and <clears throat> my mind is reeling with questions, so I don't want to hog the line. 
but one one of the questions or one thing that came up for me just recently and um I, I'm feeling that this is the the way that my question should go is that I'm adopted and I've always told my parents I felt I chose them. And I learned that my birth father was murdered when I was when I was young, but I I was able to get access to his um, genealogy, and I saw that my birth father was born on November 10th. And when wow. I look at when I look at all the records, which I think so neat because it's one 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 when you look at it on the on his records, you know, and I see repeating patterns of 1111 and all the master numbers, triple numbers, constantly. <clears throat> but he was born on November 10th, my birth father, and my adopted father's father was born on November 10th. I was born on November 5th, and my daughter was due on my birthday, November 5th. And ironically, Lorraine and I were born on November 5th. She, we, we have the same birthday in a different year. And so I see a lot with the numbers. The numbers are really significant. My father was born on 12-2, and um, he just recently passed away on, on May the 6th, which was an 11-11 day. And um, I, when I feel that he's around me, I, I, a lot of times I see three twos, triple twos. Mm -hmm. It could be 222 or 1222. A lot of things happen with the numbers. Can you can you speak to that at all? I have done numerology. That's not an area of specialty, but I, it just seems like to me that this is something that has meaning to you, mm -hmm. and it might be a way of spirit, either your spirit guide or those that are trying to attract your attention, validating that, you know, this is something that's real. This is a communication and trust. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's it's interesting how I did a in between life regression for a fellow that was a wonderful astrologer, and he had very definite um, visions of him choosing the exact minute and second to incarnate, so that his chart would be perfect for what he was working on in this lifetime. And so, it wow. a lot of it depends on sort of the tunnel through which we see reality you know some people when they're going into the in-between life um, I think it's it's like um, basically what we're experiencing is energy and the images that we give to it may vary depending on our cultural background although the experience may be very similar because I've had you know one fellow when he went into the in-between life felt that he had uh, was greeted by Shiva, and another woman that I, uh, in, in, in between life regression, felt that she was greeted by Mother Mary. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it it doesn't matter whether or not those are historical entities or just the the way that that person gives meaning to the experience that they had based on, you know, their belief system and what they're familiar with. I know a lot of times when we, we talk, we talk about people who feel things, people who see things, people who hear things, and I'm always telling everyone, I don't see or hear, I just feel. Uh -huh. <laughs> and I, I get what you're saying. It's this, this is our own personal, I guess, the encoding that's in our DNA. Each person is unique. So 
this is the way that I'm receiving my messages, I think is what you're saying, and I, I agree with that. I, I it's see sort that. of a validation that what you're experiencing is important. Right, right. And pay attention, you know. And Or uh, sometimes I think um, those from the other side are trying to send us signals, and that may be one of the ways that they are able to get through. Because mm-hmm. if, if you saw the movie Ghost, I think that was a pretty accurate uh, sort of description of how difficult it is from the sort of... Um, spirit world to make contact with the physical dimension. I I saw Ghost and it had a profound impact on me and before my dad passed I was reading him Suzanne Northrup's book and um, how how she expresses how people on the other side communicate with us so I was telling him there's different you won't have a mouth when you're on the other side, you'll be a vibration or an energy, and you'll have to find a way to communicate, whether it's turning lights on and off or through music or through smells or right. um, some way. You will find a way to talk to me, and I just want you to know that I'm completely open to any way that you're able to find a way to communicate with me. I'll notice. So, right. <laughs> yeah, and and I, I guess he found his way through the numbers because he knows I'm fascinated with the numbers. So. Uh-huh. That that makes a lot of sense. Well, thank you so much for that. Isn't that comforting? Is yeah. that, does that help you heal? Yeah. I mean, I hope Shirley's back on the line. Yes, can you hear me? Yes. You just, yourself, you've just experienced a loss, and you told me when you were going through this, just two weeks into it, you said, you know, you get it. You know what's going on. You know, you do live in the fifth dimension, <laughs> on and off in the fourth dimension. How are things going for you? You have a question for Gayla? Interesting enough, we have a lot of the same background. I'm also an astrologer, but I'm more of a ah. biologist. <laughs> ah. So um, I believe in angels, and I see them, and I believe in people's angel books. For each degree, there's different sets of angels. Our son actually OD'd on May 23rd this year, uh-huh. and uh, he was in Salvation Army where the judge put him, and uh, I can't believe this, but he was gone for six days before I even knew it. Wow. I evidently blocked it. I don't know why I blocked it. I, I think possibly because I knew when he came out we were going to help him to establish even a trailer of some kind uh, so that his son could move in with him. And uh, his son Damien is four, he's 15 now. And the hardest part of this is the child is going through anger, petrified because he's hearing voices at night. We have strange noises in the house here. Amazingly, my husband is even, you know, looking at me when these strange noises happen. And, of course, I know who it is, and he has talked to me. But I think the hardest part is forgiving yourself, mm-hmm. forgiving uh, maybe I wasn't a perfect mother, uh, maybe there was something more I could have done and didn't do. And both our children are adopted. But I never considered them adopted because they were 
part of my heart, and they are, and they always will be. Because we were together in Atlantis. They were my children, my blood children at that time. I really don't see much difference in uh, adopted or uh, birthing them because I know that they come to who they need to be to. Mm-hmm. I lost my daughter to SIDS when she was five and a half months old, and I recognize, uh, you know, several of the feelings that you're talking about because I think that they're very common to anyone who loses a child, which seems so unnatural that we would lose a child before we would die. I mean, it just is doesn't seem like that's the way things are supposed to work. Um, and I know, you know, I didn't meet any of the profiles of a Sid's death except that my daughter did die during the winter months. But for the first year, I kept evaluating everything I did and thinking, oh, if if I hadn't gone back to work, if I hadn't done this, if I hadn't done that, the outcome would have been different. But in reality, that was not the case. But I think we want to think that something we could have done would make, would have made a difference because that gives us a feeling of having more control over something that is really so gut-wrenching. You know, it's like part of your heart is ripped out. Um, there's an organization called Compassionate Friends. It's an international organization, and it's for parents who have lost a child for any reason. There are parents whose children have been murdered, who've committed suicide, who've died of overdoses. I mean, and um, I think probably one of the things that helped me the most was going to SID support group meetings because it can be very cathartic to talk about your experience, but also sometimes when you're at a meeting, someone will be vocalizing something that you hadn't quite touched yet, but when they speak, you know, you can you know, put your finger on it and say, yes, that's exactly what I'm feeling. Um, So I think it does help to get support from others that have experienced something similar. Um, And the other thing I was thinking when you were talking was that I don't think that it would be unusual not to pick up on your son's death because, you know, of his medical condition as well as the drug use he was kind of in and out of reality so much that it would be hard to distinguish the difference that's true Um, you know so don't beat yourself up over that (laughs) I don't think that you were blocking anything Um, and sometimes uh, when we're dealing with people who've taken on a very difficult challenge. I've read case histories of people that had um, very uh, difficult medical issues, and it was difficult for them to deal with that. Um, There have been several people, very famous people, um, who dealt with bipolar disorder throughout their life. They were very intelligent and sensitive um, but eventually did commit suicide. Um, so it's it's hard for us to judge why they had to experience that or why they what they were working through. It's hard for us. Like I've thought many times, I've wondered why my daughter was only here for five and a half months and what was her lesson in that. And you know maybe we'll get more clarity on that 
when we pass from the earth plane, but I know from my perspective it was the catalyst for the greatest growth I've undergone in this lifetime. It got me out of my head and into my heart. So, you know, in one aspect, maybe part of your son's journey was to be that catalyst that really helped you to grow tremendously. You know, he he came to to really open up your heart in a way that uh, no one else could because you loved him so deeply. Wow. But you know, it's it's hard to explain, but I don't think there is anybody or anything I don't love. I've been at this point for a couple of years, mm-hmm. and it's been very difficult. I know that we programmed this before I was born. And I understand that Damien has programmed this. And it's so difficult to be unable to put him at ease. Do Are you praying for him? Oh, yes. Because oftentimes people will go through um, like a healing um, period, especially if they've... Uh, I've worked with people that have had very painful illnesses like cancer that has been very painful and they've been on, you know, strong uh, medication. And it takes a while sometimes for the energy body to be revitalized. And many people who um, connect with such a lifetime, uh, when we do an in-between life regression, we take people in through their most immediate prior life. And I have had some people that had serious illnesses, um, and they describe going through like a healing temple. And how they describe it will vary. Some people will feel like they're going into, you know, like an energy sphere, and they hear sound um, and toning. Other people will see the primary experience will be color. Some people describe it more as a physical vibration, but it's like uh, it seems like oftentimes we go through a period of healing when we make the transition, and uh, it, it feels like your son is still in that healing phase. What he experienced in this lifetime is not what his soul is. I understand that. Shirley, thank you for sharing that. I hope this was. <coughs> of comfort there is great we've got two other callers terry we'd love to hear from you you know i have a couple questions on some of the things that um that you've talked about and and it seems like one has gone right into the other when you first started talking about edgar casey and having this uh highly evolved spiritual life back in the egyptian days is that what you said um and then coming back into a more recent life as an alcoholic um you know, is it sometimes that you come back, like much like what you were saying to Shirley, maybe being the alcoholic was really not the lessons that Edgar Casey himself had to learn, but he was the best choice to to be the teacher for maybe the you know the wife as well as the woman who was the mistress. Um, maybe he was the best choice to give those lessons to them. And doesn't that kind of fall into the same thing maybe that Shirley has gone through? Maybe, like you said, her son's soul was not the sum of the life that he had here, but maybe he was the really the best teacher 
for the people he, that was involved within this lifetime with him. Am I making sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that that could well be. And, you know, there could be several layers. Uh, maybe there's an element of judgment in that person's soul, and they might have judged someone who was an alcoholic, um, and maybe they wanted to have the experience so that they would understand um you know, the powerful difficulty of overcoming an addiction. And some bodies are different than others. Some bodies process information, you know, process chemicals differently than others. Um, so it's it's hard for us to judge on this plane exactly um, what a soul is learning or what purpose is, you know, and uh, sometimes we do get insight uh when we do an in-between life and the person can speak directly to their guides or they can, um, you know, go through that interview with the wise souls, um, they might get some insight about some of the lessons that they signed up to work on in this particular lifetime. Another question I have, too, is, and I guess it's the age-old question of, you know, what's it all about? I mean, is this come down to enlightenment and you know, to learning these lessons to a point of where you become, you know, an elder or where you become an enlightened soul or, you know, I, I've done some study in the Asian um, religions and, you know, their idea is to not have to come back, you know, to where I, in a, I feel that it's somewhat of a blessing to be able to be here, although it is very difficult. Um, I think it is a blessing to be able to be incarnated into this world and to have the chance to maybe to learn or maybe it's actually the chance to become enlightened and you know what's it all about why are we going through this school why why are we doing this well a lot has been written about uh, there's a series of channeled books as well as you know different philosophical discussions about how you know god um sort of uh thrust an aspect of himself into the world in order to uh, you know, and created free will on the earth plane in order to uh, explore other dimensions of his um, self and that ultimately we're trying to merge back into that ultimate source and realize that we all have God with, or the divine within ourselves. Um, so I know that uh, in the Buddhist tradition, you know, many feel like we want to get off of the karmic will and not be attached to any physical thing. And, and uh, there, the Tibetan Book of the Dead, the Egyptian Book of the Dead, will go through various um, sort of rituals um, near the end of life designed to get the person to let go of the attachment to the physical so that they can you know, not have to reincarnate, although uh, many of the saints in that tradition, like Kuan Yin and uh, Buddha, agreed, uh, became bodhisattvas. They were released from the karmic will, but they agreed to come back to help others, you know, on the, in the earth dimension or in the earth plane. Um, I don't know with the earth plane is considered one of Illusion, so it's hard for us to understand, you know, all of the dimensions because of the duality. And yet, 
supposedly we gain um, development or growth much more rapidly here because the, um, the trials are much stronger down here. There, it's harder for us to um, become clear and to uh, manifest given the uh, restrictions of having this physical dimension where we're not pure thought and to realize that you know there is um, a mental dimension that has intention and focus and wants to express a certain thing in the world and then there's the physical dimension that you have to work on with patients to get it to cooperate mm. so I don't uh, I, I don't know if it's possible to be certain you know, uh, certainly yeah. much has been written about that and you know my own uh, suppositions are just that suppositions I don't know <laughs> Right. Well, no, obviously, we don't know, you know, is really the bottom line, but it's just, I just think it's very interesting. Um, I have recently been involved, was involved in a, well, I think it, uh, four years ago, I went through the treatments of breast cancer, and I think it was actually a, quite a, kind of a journey into the fire, you know, a blessing to, to really evaluate my life and to evaluate where I was going and to evaluate why I'm here. And it really kind of pulled me up by the, bootstraps and said, you know, it's time to start living and get out there and and do what you're supposed to be doing, whatever that is. Um, and that was four years ago. And, you know, I, I feel like I have been kind of following along that line. And then just recently, I was involved in a, a pretty uh, violent car accident. And I feel very fortunate in the fact that I was able to basically walk away from it. Um, and it was one of those accidents where people were pretty amazed that I came out of it not only unhurt, but, you know, it was certainly a very good possible possible chance to be taken out of this life. Um, mm. And, uh, you know, my guides or the gods decided not to do that. And I think that that's, and that happened oh, close to two months ago. And I'm, I'm currently, I'm kind of struggling with that a little bit. Um, you know, I, I feel like going through the cancer, you know, it's one of those constant worries that I don't feel like I really do dwell on as far as, you know, is it going to come back and... Is it something I'm going to have to go through again or go through over and over again? And on one end, here I sit and I worry about that. And on the other end, you know, I could just so easily have been taken out in this completely different way. And I, 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 I'm struggling with what the lessons of that is or are or will become. Well, you know, the body can be such a wonderful mirror for us of areas that we might have uh, neglected. And, of course, breasts are about nurturing ourselves. And, um, you know, maybe part of it may be to uh, really nurture yourself. You know, maybe you've gotten, maybe you had gotten so caught up in doing for others, which I think is pretty typical of the role many women get put into in our culture, um, that uh, you put yourself kind of on the bottom of the priority list. And uh, a life-threatening illness is really a wake-up call. And uh, it sounds like, um, you know, you really uh, looked at what was being presented and are, you know, awakened to, you know, this is, is my life and I'm ready to 
um, set my priorities and accomplish what I need in this lifetime and, and really dig down into what's the feeling, you know, what is it that I want to do as opposed to what other people are projecting onto me. And mm-hmm. sorting that out is a key, you know, thing because many of us uh, pick up what other people around us want and need and then the issue is to, uh, you know, keep that balance so that we also take care of ourselves and we manifest who we are. Well, it's very interesting. I do know that. And I, I do believe uh, there is so much to learn here. There is no doubt. And I think also not only so much to learn, but so much to teach as well. So very interesting. Have you read uh, Louise Hay's books? I have read some of her books, yes. Yeah. Um, I do actually do a lot of energy uh Receiving a lot of energy work through Reiki. Um, like I said, I'm still trying to figure out what this car accident, what the lessons were on that, but it certainly has set me back um, as far as it kind of felt like I was said, okay, you're done, maybe going in the wrong direction, and you're going to sit on the sidelines over here. You just hang out and, you know, kind of figure out where you're supposed to be. Well, Terry, I just think it's fascinating that you got to experience the effects of the energy work Right before this accident, you had a friend who was going to be driving. You protected his car with the white light, with the Lemurian crystal. And then you were driving. You protected yourself, and you walked away from this tremendous accident. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. I did. I actually I did a blessing uh, for a friend who was going uh, down to Mexico and was going to be... Um, Oh, kind of in the trenches, and so I, I did a, and I had heard that you could do this blessing with this Lemurian crystal, so I thought, oh, heck, why not, I'll, I'll go ahead and give it a try, and I did it, and it was kind of like, well, I don't know if it really took or not, so I did it again, I, I walked counterclockwise around the car with the crystal in my right hand, and, and tried to give it the white light, and give it the blessing, and, um, you know, send it away with love, and it was shortly after that that I, I said my goodbyes to him, and got in my car, and left, and it was not too far down the road, maybe an hour and a half uh, down the road. I got to thinking, and I actually had taken my crystal out of my purse and had set it on the little side dash there, you know, where the shifter is. And for some reason, it popped into my head. I was like, you know, I blessed this car, and I didn't bless my own, and maybe I really need to put a white light around my own car. And the minute I thought it, it was, it was a poof. I mean, I didn't even have to try on this one, and it was a poof like I did not get when I did his car, and I was just showered in this white light, and it was instantaneous, and it was very quick, and I was, like, very shocked. I was like, wow, that was pretty amazing, and I had actually done that once before, but but when it happened, it was instant, and I would say, you know, I don't really know. I would say it was in within the next three minutes, four minutes, five minutes that this woman came out um, from a side road, and I was like, oh, no. I was, And that was really my thought, not like this, not this. This is going to be like this. That was what I thought. And, you know, I just kind of put my hands on the wheel and settled in the seat, and it was kind of a little wait for it, wait for it, kind of waited for it to hit, and it hit. And, and I had an angel scream at me to close my eyes, which I did, and um, I can still hear all of the, the banging and the emotion that went on as I took that wild ride in that car and when I landed upside down hanging from my seatbelt I let myself down and the car was a mess everything I had baggage I had a bicycle in the back I had paperwork I had there was stuff everywhere stuff from the back was in the front and I mean it was just stuff everywhere the car had rolled several times 
and I let myself down gently out of the seat belt, and now I'm sitting on the roof, and I look down, and there is the crystal sitting right next to me. I just, I was amazed. I grabbed it, and I put it in my back pocket, and then proceeded to get myself out of the car, which was a whole other story. But, yeah, that was a very, um, very powerful uh, feeling to know that I had, I think the crystal actually had facilitated me having a more open ear to my guides to know to do that blessing. And maybe I helped bless the woman that hit me as well because I don't believe that she was horribly injured either. Um, Thank you, Terry. I'm so glad you're safe. And thank you so much for sharing. Now let's check in with Arlene. Arlene? Hello. Hi, Arlene. This is a great conversation for me because uh, throughout my life, I've really done some work and trying so hard to figure out why I am the way I am in this life. Why have I suffered so much? Why have I gone through so much illness? I'm also a cancer survivor. Um, I had lymphoma recently. I am cancer-free about a year now. And... I just feel that I've had a tremendous amount on my plate in this lifetime. Sometimes I felt more than I can handle. So, of course, I was going to go ask questions, and I was going to do, you know, do research, and a lot of it had to do with past life regression and past lives. I've had bits and pieces of recall of past lives, enough to know that been a, there's been a pattern in a lot of my past lives of uh, being sick, allowing myself to be ill, using illness to feel safe. A lot of that, a lot of that. um, A couple of my past lives come in very strongly to me. And there have been times where I have actually sat in a meditation where I've actually done a past life healing on myself where I would go into the past life and talk to that person who I was at that time who might have been stuck in a certain place in that particular lifetime. And my big question, so this is so I'm not new to this stuff, but my big question uh, um, um, I have to ask is, and I struggle with this a lot, I'm also an empath where I do, unfortunately throughout my life, I, I do end up picking up from other people who are in pain, and I'm, I call myself a recovering empath because I'm trying to recover, from, and I'm trying to just allow myself to feel for people without going right down in the trenches with them and understanding that's their walk, not mine. I have my own. But my big question really is this, and I feel like when I pass from this life, I want to face the big guy because I want to ask him, why do people have to suffer so much physically? What gain is there? I mean, if I come into this lifetime with a veil over my head of things that I have known and I pretend that I don't know and it takes my whole life to figure out that I know it again, to me it's a waste of time. I mean, why do I, I, did I have to go through this all again? When I went, came into this life with knowledge, and I had to go through all of it all over again, and I know maybe you can't answer that question. Maybe there's no answer until we die. I don't know. But I wonder if you have any insight on that as to why there has to be so much physical suffering. 
You know, um, one of the comments I want to make before I get to your main question, as you were talking, I really want to validate that we can heal issues that are affecting us in our current life by going back and doing a healing. And it doesn't have to be in another lifetime. It can go back to issues in childhood. But if we have unresolved pain or trauma, oftentimes by going back and re-scripting what happened, it can affect us dramatically in terms of just our physical biochemistry in this lifetime. And so going back to your question, um, it seems unfortunate that most of us are not motivated to really tackle the hard questions or do the really difficult work when we're feeling good. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, you know, yeah, I mean, it's like when we're in pain or when we're hurting, that's when we're really searching for the answers. That's and, when I seem to have grown the most is when I'm in pain. Yeah. I seem to right. take leaps and bounds in spirit, but I hate it. I don't like it. I know. I know. I hate suffering. <laughs> But, you know, there's all these, you, sometimes when I look around and I just want to hit my head and I, what were you thinking? <laughs> yeah. So it's like, you know, we all come in with our little prejudices and our little uh, laziness and, you know, there's different parts of us that want to be in denial. You know? Yeah. Yeah, we're mirroring for one another. Yeah, so we are all fun. 
Gayla, you mentioned the Tibetan Book of the Dead. In fact, anyone can go to Google Video or YouTube Video and watch Tibetan Book of the Dead. It is fascinating. And Gayla, your website is galawriter.com. That's G-A-Y-L-A-R-E-I-T-E-R.com. And there's a real fascinating audio CD for past life regression. It's a little over an hour, but you can use it to um, go through several past lives. Wonderful. So thank you, Gayla, for being here. Great. Thank Thank you. you so much. And this concludes another healing conversation. Please leave us your comments. We'd love to hear from you. And now we leave you with music from the universe. It's actually created by assigning musical notes to mathematical equations. Listen in and see if you can feel the universe speaking to you in this music. Until next time, goodbye.